Okay, so week five, this is not really week five, it was week five last year. We're moving ahead faster now, you can go faster. I left, left out the sympathetic nervous system stuff because I really, I don't know, it just wasn't helpful. So um, week four, ventricular and escape rhythms. We'll also get into some artifact um, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit, how that can kind of confuse you to think maybe it's something else is going on when in fact it's not. Um, so just a quick review, we did this once already before the quiz, but arrhythmias, um, we don't always know why, we try to find out the cause. If somebody's got an arrhythmia and we're in medicine, they're coming to us to try to help them fix it, right? So if you don't know what the potential causes are for it, then we're kind of up creek without a paddle, so to speak. So his Debs mnemonic kind of helps us to work through that. Think hypoxia, ischemia, sympathetic stimulation, drugs, electrolyte disturbances, bradycardia, and stretch or enlargement of the, the atria or ventricles. Again, all these arrhythmias, most, for the most part, these arrhythmias come from what we call an ectopic focus or foci, and that just means there's an irritable group of excitable cells somewhere in the atria ventricles, somewhere inside the heart muscle, outside of the normally functioning conductive, electrical conductive system of the heart that's trying to take over as a pacemaker, okay? It can be one single beat, like the PAC that we talked about last week, or it can be an ex extended rhythm, like atrial fibrillation or SVT. Again, the normal pacemaker of the heart, if you don't know this by now, man, we are in trouble, is the SA node. And again, these abnormal pacemakers can arise from anywhere, including the atrial muscle, pulmonary vein, AV junction, ventricles, et cetera, okay? All right, so last week we talked about premature atrial contraction. I'm gonna introduce you this week to premature ventricular contraction, and just that means it's happening prematurely and it's happening in the ventricles rather than in the atria, okay? So, um, and these are always, almost always, aberrant in appearance. When I think of a PVC, think of this. Think of this wide, bizarre, unusual-looking complex. If you think back to last week, we talked about PACs with aberrancy. Um, that's what PVCs generally look like, okay? Um, and we'll talk about how you can kind of distinguish the difference a little later on, but... So typically what happens is these um, ectopic foci or focus, in this situation we're talking about a um, <clears throat> unifocal PVC. We'll talk about the difference between unifocal and multifocal in just a minute. But um, are, are arising somewhere within the right or left ventricle. And so instead of getting a no normal depolarization over here in the middle through the intraventricular septum kind of going in, Again, originally down and to the, to the right initially, and then the big uh, wave of depolarization going down to the left. We don't have that. It's, it's usually going to be over here in the right uh, or the left, and we get one kind of big wave of depolarization going like that. That's why it's so big and bizarre. It takes a longer amount of time to travel all the way across the, the, the ventricle, right? Instead of kind of in the middle here and spreading out in both directions, it's having to start on one side. Therefore, it's longer in duration, and so we get a wider complex there for the PVC. Does that make sense? Okay. So think wide and bizarre and similar to what we call uh, bundle branch block patterns. We'll talk about those a little bit today. That's coming more next week, okay? So don't get too hung up on that term just yet. All right. So PVCs only depolarize the ventricles. They don't depolarize the SA node. Um, let me see if I've got my... Here's some color.
So what do we have that stops the electrical impulse from going from the ventricles to the atria? Aubrey, Aubrey, right? No. no? It's wrong on there. It's wrong? I was doing so good trying to remember names, and it's not even right. Pod Lassic, what is it? Eileen. Eileen. You know, it was that way on your uh, exam master, but I thought, well, maybe it was your official name, and that was Aubrey with what you meant by. Eileen. Yes. What, what do you think it is? Fantastic. The AV nodes and that cardiac skeleton stop the electrical impulse from going from the ventricles up to the atria, okay? And so um, what happens is the SA node does not get reset. The SA node over here, kind of like me and my wife sometimes, she tells me things, I don't remember them. I, I have no idea what's going on in my house. You know, just tell me where I need to be if, when it's time to go, and then we'll go, okay? So the, the SA node is over here doing his own thing, kind of like me, paying no, paying no mind to what the ventricles are doing down here. So the ventricles, uh, you get a PVC that, that abnormally depolarizes. The SA node has no clue what's going on, so it just continues right on doing its thing. So it does not reset, okay? does not reset. So in other words, um, these P waves, we get what's called AV dissociation. There's still uh, a P wave hidden within inside of the QRS complex, okay? Because the SA node is clueless as to what's going on upstairs, okay? So if you were to, if you, sometimes you can find those P waves if you march it out. I don't think you can on this one necessarily, but sometimes you can find a P wave kind of hidden a little bit funny over here or over here, depending on how things march out, okay? So it's one way to kind of know if it's a PVC or not versus a PAC with an aberrancy because you're looking for that AV dissociation or the resetting, um, or, or the lack of uh, a reset, sorry. So in other words, you can also take the QRS, your P wave here, March it out to right there, and your next one should be, it should be almost like right there, okay? In fact, that might, let's see. Well, this is not very good caliper stuff right here, but okay, you see what I'm saying? In other words, the, the P waves here should kind of march themselves out because there's no reset. It doesn't have a clue as to what's going on. Is that, I did it better that time, didn't I? Okay, without calipers, it's kind of hard to keep my fingers. But that's what it is. The P wave will land, um, you know, exactly. It's keeps, it keeps time. It does not reset. It had no idea what was going on, okay? Did that make it clear? Okay, okay. Um, so, again, sometimes you can find the P wave inside the PVC. If you measure those P to P intervals, sometimes you can, you can see it. That's what we call a compensatory pause. All right. So again, it's an irritable focus inside of the ventricles, generally the right ventricle or the left ventricle that causes us to get this giant ventricular complex on the EKG, and it's typically greater than 0.14 seconds. That's another clue to kind of help us know if it's a PAC with aberrancy or a PVC. Again, 99 times out of 100, probably it's going to be a PVC. Occasionally, uh, it's not. Now, typically, um, the polarity of a PVC is going to be opposite of the normal um, QRS complex. So look down here, you've got a nice sinus rhythm that with upright complexes, QRS complexes, all the way across until you get this premature, bizarre looking complex here with an opposite polarity. Uh, again, the difference between a PAC and a PVC, there's no, no P wave here, no P prime wave before it. You've just got the T wave that looks exactly the same as the previous, so we know it's not a P wave hidden inside with the, the, T, the T wave there. It's a bizarre, premature complex uh, with opposite polarity. That's what we talk about with opposite polarity, okay? PVCs are, are generally a weaker, um, a weaker impulse than normal because 
it's happening prematurely, right? The atria squeeze, the ventricles don't really have time to fill completely up with blood before it, it squeezes and ejects that blood. So there's less volume there to be moved around. Um, and so we talk about it in a minute, if you get these fast enough and close enough together, people can decompensate really quickly. PVCs in general are very common. Again, just like a PAC, if you're stressed out, you've had too much caffeine, there's something you know, driving your sympathetic nervous system out of whack, you can get these PVCs. In fact, you probably have felt you know, little palpitations occasionally where you feel like something kind of, ooh, you know, a little weird or whatever. Um, that, that's probably what that was. So it can be in healthy people. It can be in people with heart disease. Um, and again, it's, uh, it can be provoked by things like um, adrenergic stimulation, stress, caffeine, cocaine. Electrolyte disturbances, drug toxicity, think back again to his devs, right? So clinical significance, if you've got a patient with heart disease, PVCs can come from ischemia. Somebody might have had a myocardial infarction where the tissue got damaged and now you've got this area around it that's extra irritable that will throw out PVCs. Again, this abnormal stretch and sympathetic tone, his devs, his devs, I can't say that enough. That's arrhythmias right there, okay? Again, symptoms may vary from, from none to severe palpitations. And what will happen, if you remember, the SA node doesn't know what's going on downstairs, right? So sometimes you may get uh, an atrial conduction and depolarization at the same time as the ventricular conduction depolarization, and you get, just like we talked about with SVT, a cannon A wave. Um, and so I'm gonna try to see if this will pull up, because I thought this was pretty cool. Yeah, I knew it would do that. For some reason, YouTube doesn't ever work on the iPad. Let me pull this up for you real quick. <coughs> See if I can find the one that was really cool here. Is it? Can you see that in the dark? Maybe not. Not really. It's kind of a dark video anyway. Um, it, the link is on your on your uh, on your page there, but it's, it's the, she's got this bulging thing in her neck. It may work for you guys if you click on it. I don't know. Man, it is really dark, isn't it? That's unfortunate. I'll tell you what, let's do this. I can see it fine on here. Can you guys see that at all? <laughs> you see the neck kind of like doing crazy stuff. Okay. Okay, that's a Canon A wave. Very good. All right. Let me just do the rest of the lecture using just this. How's that? No, we won't do that. Okay. Now, back to here. Okay. Canon A wave. All right. So, uh, if they're just occasional PVCs, that can be a normal thing. We don't get too worried about that. It doesn't require any workup. You get them really, really often. They're complaining of palpitations. You happen to do a little rhythm strip, and they got several on there. You, you may want to make sure they don't have some structural heart disease that's causing that to happen. They recommend an echocardiogram or they're testing. Again, long-duration palpitations. You're, sometimes we don't always catch it on an EKG strip or a 12-lead EKG. So there's what's called a Holter monitor, if you'll remember. You put, the, you put the monitor on, stick it to, on your waistband, they take it home, wear it for 24 hours or whatever, try to catch, count how many PVCs are going on, is there something abnormal here or not. Um, with exercise, 
Now, if in, in a normal healthy individual, if we have those occasional PVCs, you go get on the treadmill, that should minimize the number of PVCs that we're ha having because what's going on, again, is the, the SA node is going to start firing faster when you exercise, right? You get sinus tachycardia, and that will overdrive suppress those ventricular ectopy that's there. Kind of keeps it, keeps it calm. Now, if you've got pathologic PVCs, it will increase with exercise because now you've got somebody who's got, let's say, ischemia of the heart. They go out on the treadmill, start working out, get that heart rate up. The heart has less now oxygen. It, needs, it has an increased oxygen demand, but it's not getting what it needs. It becomes hypoxic, ischemic, and the, the heart muscle becomes irritable, and now you're throwing more PVCs, okay? Um, so that's just a little, little tidbit for you. All right. Treatment, again, if, if, uh, if in general there's not an underlying problem, there's no treatment required. If, if you're having several PVCs, you want to deal with the problem, not necessarily the PVCs themselves, okay? Have you guys talked about antiarrhythmic drugs yet? I heard somebody say lisinopril as far as pharmacology. Sounds like you're starting to get into some heart stuff. Antiarrhythmics yet? No? Okay. One of the crazy things about antiarrhythmics is they actually can cause arrhythmias, okay? I guess because it's working on the electrical conduction system, it, it can always screw it up just as well as it could fix it, I guess. So, um, uh, so antiarrhythmic drugs used um, are generally not used for that because it can cause VTAC and VFib, which we'll get into in just a little bit. All right, so one of the things to think about when we're looking at somebody that has PVCs is how often are they having them? What's the frequency of it? So you can count how many per minute they're having. Uh, I think I've seen some stuff that says if they have six or more in a minute, that could be pathologic. Um, there's also some different terms out there you'll hear regularly in practice, and that being um, somebody has a couplet that's two, B, two PVCs in a row. Okay, so you've got normal sinus rhythm here. You've got these two premature complexes. They're wide and bizarre. Uh, we, when you get two PVCs like that together, we call that a couplet. Now, if you get three in a row, now you've, um, you can call that ventricular tachycardia. Just like uh, last week when we had three PACs in a row, we started calling it SVT. Same thing is true here. If you get three PVCs in a row, three of these wide, bizarre complexes in a row, now that's ventricular tachycardia. There's also some terms called ventricular bigeminy, trigeminy, quadrimony. I guess you could keep going. I don't, I don't know what it would be after that. But where you have a normal sinus beat followed by a PVC, followed by a normal sinus beat, PVC. So every other beat is, uh, is, is a PVC, and we call that ventricular bigeminy. Now, trigeminy just means it's every third. Um, here we go. So you got a PVC, bigeminy, a PVC after every normal cycle. <laughs> Trigeminy, a PVC after two normal cycles, and quadrimony, a PVC after three normal cycles. Again, three or more in a row, ventricular tachycardia. If it lasts longer than 30 seconds, we call it a sustained run of ventricular tachycardia. Okay. So you can see they had a run of VTAC here and a run of VTAC right there. Notice it's opposite in polarity, right? These, these, these uh, PVCs are upright, whereas the normal QRS complex and sinus rhythm is down. And these are uh, going down in polarity, whereas these up, the normal sinus rhythm is, is positive in polarity up here. Another example of bigeminy. You've got a normal complex followed by a PVC repeats itself. 
trigeminy. Okay. Another thing to consider when you're looking at PVCs is, is it uniform or multiform? <coughs> or we used to call it unifocal and multifocal, but I think they've determined that the, just because it has a different appearance doesn't necessarily mean it's coming from a di several different places. So unifocal, they're all identical, and they origin we do know for sure that they're originating from the same irritable place in the myocardium. So each PVC looks exactly the same as the one before. It doesn't have a different shape or appearance. It's the same. It's coming from that same spot, either in the right ventricle or the left ventricle, and when it depolarizes, it's looking the exact same every time, okay? That's called unifocal. This is going to happen in people who have normal, healthy hearts. So if, when we have PVCs, you know, those of us who are healthy from drinking caffeine or whatever, uh, this is the type of PVC we're going to have. Unifocal, each one would look the same as the one before it. Just untied my shoe. So multiform PVCs, not always, but often can arrive, arise from different places in the myocardium, okay? So um, if we've got organic heart disease, that would be the problem. So you've got a PVC here, and you've got another one here, and you can see that they don't look, don't look the same. So what may be potentially happening is you've got one firing over here in the right ventricle, another over here in the left ventricle, and when, the, when this one depolarizes, it looks one certain way, and this one depolarizes, it looks a, another type of way, okay? It's just multi-form or multi, potentially multifocal PVCs, right? If you think about when we talked about uh, elective cardioversion last week with SVT, how there's an important button to hit on that machine called to sync it, right? And we're trying to sync it on the, fantastic, on the R wave, not on the T wave. Because there's a phenomenon called the R on T phenomenon, okay? What happens, not always, but it can, is that if you land a PVC straight on top of that T wave, or the R is on the T, you can throw, these patients can go into uh, ventricular tachycardia, ventricular fibrillation. The patients that are at highest risk for that are the ones that have these long QT intervals, and we'll talk about that later on, but it can be a genetic problem, it can be a medication that they're taking, or it can be because they've <laughs> just had a recent MI or, or uh, have myocardial ischemia. Those are reasons that you can prolong that QT interval. The longer that is, the, the potential that there is, um, you know, that you'll have a a ventricular depolarization to land on the preceding T wave, okay? And that can be bad. So again, synchronized cardioversion in those situations with a patient with a pulse, trying to avoid <coughs> the R on T. <coughs> Something called Barlow syndrome is basically young females that uh, have mitral valve prolapse that can be more prone to have these PVCs. It's still a benign thing, nothing to get worried about. Just an FYI for you, okay? All right. So ventricular tachycardia. If we've got three PVCs in a row, we start to call that a run of VTAC or ventricular tachycardia. Again, it's caused by these very irritable ventricular automaticity focus. The rate is going to be around 150 to 250, and it's going to be nice and regular. Again, the SA node doesn't know what's going on downstairs, so it continues to fire, and you get what's called AV dissociation. And sometimes you can find those P waves hidden within the, that QRS complex, okay? 
sustained ventricular tachycardia over 30 seconds. It is a life-threatening arrhythmia. We're starting to get into stuff that's fun to deal with. Well, not fun for the patient, but it's fun for us to deal with, okay? These are the life-threatening arrhythmias. When you guys start doing um, ACLS later this semester, I think, is that plans for that? These are the rhythms you got to recognize so you know what the heck to do when, when you're, you're dealing with these patients. That and even what we talked about last week and next week are kind of all, you know, ACLS rhythms. These are the things that, that you have to pinpoint. So um, ventricular tachycardia, life-threatening. Some people lose pulse pretty dang fast, if not in, almost instantly, depending on how old and, and unhealthy they are. Again, it's because you know, the, the ventricles are not having time to fill up, so they're squeezing so fast that essentially they're, they're moving very little to no blood around in the circulation. So decreased cardiac output, hemodynamic collapse. These patients, if we don't fix this problem, are gonna go down pretty quick if they're not already down, okay? It can also degenerate into what we call ventricular fibrillation, and that's just where the ventricles do nothing but quiver, okay? And then you go from a little bit of blood moving, maybe because it's going really fast, to nothing's happening now, okay, because the ventricles are just shaking. Um, you can have a, a monomorphic ventricular tachycardia. Again, just like we talked about earlier with the PVCs, all looking the same, uniform all the way around. Sometimes you can have a, a polymorphic uh, a ventricular tachycardia where it looks different. So how do we treat ventricular tachycardia? Well, there's a mnemonic you can use called LAM. I try to think of a way you could do this. I don't know, ventricular tachycardia is like a lion. It's bad, it's prowling out, it's gonna get you. It's a lion and lamb, I don't know. Use it if it helps you, don't if it doesn't. Um, so lidocaine, this used to be the go-to, you know, when I first started, uh, you know, we, we pulled out lidocaine to treat ventricular tachycardia. It's kind of gone by the wayside for the most part, and amiodarone is now your first choice. I would go ahead and remember that. You need to know that now. You'll need to know it later. You'll need to know it in practice. So amiodarone um, is one of the, the drugs I'll have you remember. So amiodarone for, for, um, for ventricular tachycardia. You can also use magnesium beta blockers. Same thing kind of with SVT. If they're, if they're unstable but have a pulse, you know, their blood pressure is maybe 75 over 30 or something, okay? They're unstable, but they're, they're still kicking. Um, we want to do a synchronized cardioversion, push the sync button on that machine, and, uh, and cardiovert that patient on the R wave, right? Do the, um, not on the T wave. Now, no pulse. We don't call it cardioversion anymore. We call that defibrillation, okay? That's where it gets exciting, okay? Um, so in, you bring out the electricity, you shock those patients, you don't ask questions, you just, you know, fast you can, okay? Um, and then, and so those with structural heart disease. So if you got a patient with cardiomyopathy, ongoing heart problems, sometimes they go into this rhythm so frequently. I think it's, part of it's based on their ejection fraction. Do you remember when we talked about ejection fraction a few weeks ago? That's the percentage of blood that's being ejected from the ventricles each time it squeezes. Normal's around 60%. I think if they have low ejection fractions, maybe around 30% or so, and uh, they consider these what they call ICDs for those patients. Um, anybody ever heard of an ICD before? It's an, it, I think it stands for internal cardio, something defibrillator, cardio, cardiac defibrillator probably, okay? I don't know if it's cardio, cardiac, inter, uh, internal cardiac defibrillator. Let me show you a picture of some defibrillation. How about that? All right, I'll show you the ICD first. Let's do that. If I can find it. Here we go. 
So Medtronic, they make pacemakers. They, um, they also make these ICDs. So we got, you know, get really sick patients who are prone for these arrhythmias all the time. Um, you don't want to risk them not being able to get somewhere quickly, so they just implant this thing. And it's a pretty simple procedure, really. Um, they take them to what's called the cath lab, where they do the heart catheterizations oftentimes, just make a small incision up here, uh, run the wires down, and, and kind of tuck it in a little pocket there, sew them up. Uh, it can be done relatively quickly. Um, a lot of times they'll do that with what's called a biventricular pacemaker with an ICD, and what that means is that the, they're, um, they're trying to get the, uh, both of the right and left ventricle to fire at the exact same time uh, to increase the amount of blood um, that's, that's being moved and kind of synchronize that together. Those people that have like congestive heart failure and things like that, okay? So uh, biventricular pacemakers and ICDs. Um, wait a minute. Another one, let's see. Well, I think it may be on another slide. All right, let's move on for now. All right, so ventricular tachycardia, there's a nice little run of it right there. Okay, a couple of things that kind of help you know if it's ventricular tachycardia is what's called a capture beat may show up. And again, Um, the, the, the SA node has no idea what's going on downstairs, right? So it's still doing its thing. And what happens sometimes is that the SA node might depolarize and catch the, the AV node when it's actually ready to accept uh, a wave of impulse and it may depolarize, okay? So sometimes you, you'll get what's called a capture beat where it looks completely, completely normal in the middle of all that stuff, okay? The SA node's doing its thing all the time. Ventrals are going way, way, way fast. The SA node's still kind of doing its thing on its own. And eventually, it may catch the ventricles where it will accept that impulse and depolarize normally. Okay, that's what we call a capture beat. Make sense? Okay. Sometimes you'll get a fusion beat, okay, and that's where the atrial depolarization finds the, the AV node receptive, and it begins that depolarization right when it's met by this ectopic foci or focus that causes a bizarre-looking complex kind of like that, okay? So you get kind of a, a hybrid of a normal depolarization going down through the AV node and the bundle branches as it's being met by that ectopic focus in the ventricles cause it to depolarize and get a, a little wider bizarre complex. Does that, that make sense? Okay. A couple things you'll see with ventricular tachycardia. So capture beat and fusion beat. This is, a, this is a hybrid complex like this one right here. This is the fusion beat and that is a capture beat. If you get both of these, it kind of helps you to confirm it's VTAC over an SVT. So if you've got somebody, you know, SVT sometimes can present as a, as a wide complex and confuse you when it has the aberrancy. But if you see these fusion beats and, um, and capture beats, it kind of helps confirm the diagnosis of ventricular tachycardia. Yes, sir? Is it normal to see the fusion beat and then the capture beat? It can be any order. Um, it's not necessarily like it is here. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah, it can, it can be anywhere. Yeah, um, it's the one, you have the run of VTAC, it's the very next beat that looks different. That's the fusion beat. Followed by two capture beats, and it looks like the VTAC starts back up again here. Okay. Somebody else have a question?
So aberrancy, it's it just means deviating from the expected or proper course, right? It's not normal, something is unusual. And we're talking about SVT here. Go back to last week. You have, if you've got SVT but you're getting an aberrancy with it, it's because one of the bundle branch blocks, or I'm sorry, one of the bundle branches is not completely repolarized when it, when it gets the impulse. So it doesn't travel down both normally, okay? Um, so the, we're talking SVT here. So we're talking about um, uh, it receiving the, the impulse through the AV node. So what happens when you get a, an impulse coming from the atria down to the ventricles is normally it's gonna hit the AV node, it's gonna slightly go down a little bit faster on the left side, remember? That's why we get that. And then it goes down both. But essentially, you're, you're going down both bundle branches at the exact same time. What happens is this is going so fast up here, one of the bundle branches is not ready to accept the impulse, so it just travels down on one side, which gives you an abnormal appearance to the QRS complex, or what we call an aberrancy, deviating from the norm, okay? And so um, that's why we get this widened QRS complex, and it can be still from the atria or, or supraventricular rather than VTAC, okay? Does that make sense? Follow me? Okay. All right. Um, so a rapid SVT with an aberrant conduction can produce a tachycardia that looks just like VTAC. That can be somewhat problematic. Now, over 80% of wide complex tachycardias that come into the emergency room or get treated are actually ventricular tachycardia. So that's, that means a good likelihood it's going to be VTAC, not SVT. Again, this is not super common, but it does happen. Okay, and then in patients with heart disease, when you get this wide complex tachycardia, 90% of the time it's going to be VTAC, so even a higher likelihood. So again, SVT with an aberrancy is not the most common thing in the world, so don't want you to get too hung up on that. Just know that it exists. Because when, when you get into ACLS, they don't, they kind of break things down into a wide complex tachycardia versus a narrow complex tachycardia. You treat the wide complex one way and you treat the narrow complex another way. They don't ask if it's SVT with aberrancy or VTAC, okay? This is wide complex versus narrow complex. That's, that's the main thing when it comes down to treatment. So, but the majority of the time it's gonna be ventricular tachycardia, although sometimes it can be SVT with an aberrancy, okay? Now, if you treat this wide complex SVT with an aberrancy like ventricular tachycardia, you might fix it, okay? You might very well still take care of it. However, if you treat VTAC like SVT, you can cause hemodynamic collapse. So we don't wanna do that, okay? So when in doubt, if you don't know what it is, like the ACLS algorithm will point you to, we always treat those wide complex tachycardias the same as if it's ventricular tachycardia. Bottom line is, you can't figure out if you got capture beats, fusion beats, all these other things we're going to talk about in a minute. Just treat it like it's VTAC, okay? All right, so when we give IV verapamil, um, it, it can cause this hemodynamic collapse, and so we just treat it like it's VTAC, okay? That's your take-home point from all that. <clears throat> a few different ways you can try to determine if it's SVT or VTAC. Again, patients that are sick, there's a 90% chance it's going to be VTAC, so SVT is uncommon, VTAC is common. The QRS duration may help you out. If, we, if you remember back to the PVCs, we said the QRS complex would be greater than 0.14 seconds. So generally with VTAC, it's going to be a, a wide complex, even wider than the SVT with aberrancy. 
So you can measure out your QRS complex and see if it's greater than 0.14 seconds. Um, again, the AV dissociation, because remember the atria is still doing its thing up here, occasionally it may cause you to get these fusion or capture beats. And so that's super common in VTAC and not very common in SVT. Okay. We haven't talked about axis yet. You can just remember that. And when we get into axis, we can, we can talk about it more. Okay. There's also something called a positive or negative concordance. I try to remember if I've ever seen it. I don't think that I have. But if, if all the, you can see all the, the pointy spots are all going up in this one, all the pointy spots are going down in this one, and all your 12 leads. If you get that, these are actually your precordial leads they're showing here, uh, the chest leads, then that increases the likelihood that it's ventricular tachycardia. Okay, We call that a positive or negative concordance. There's another arrhythmia in your ACLS that you'll see called torsades, the points we call it torsades. It's, uh, I think it's French for twisting of the points. And basically what happens, you'll kind of see it looks like, um, I think Dubin describes it as a party streamer where it's just kind of like, oh shoot, let's just go straight to it and I'll come back to this one. Um, looks like this. So he, he uh, does it as a party streamer, kind of this up and down. You've got uh, tall gets small, tall again gets small. So the amplitude keeps going from large to small, large to small, uh, almost like a twisted up party streamer. So that's torsades, the points, or twisting of the, twisting of the points. Um, you don't use quinidine very much anymore, but this is, uh, for whatever reason, seems to be kind of like the board type question. It, this prolongs the QT interval and can increase your risk for torsades. So think prolonged QT interval, torsades, um, and it's a very fast rate. Looks a lot like ventricular tachycardia, except it has those tw twisting of the points and the tall amplitude, short amplitude. Um, again, it's going so stinking fast, it's really ineffective. The ventricles are just not doing their job very well. Those patients don't tolerate that for very long very well. Cardioversion, um, if they've got a pulse, mag sulfate um, tends to to help out with that, low magnesium also increases your risk for torsade. So the, the three things would be the twisting of the points, uh, the quinidine with the Q, prolonged QT interval, and mag sulfate. Those tend to be kind of the, the key points to take away from that. Think hypomagnesemia because that's why you're giving them mag. And then ventricular fibrillation, we have completely lost. Chaos has ensued now in the heart completely, okay? Very, very fast rate. It's just basically nothing but an irritable ventricular myocardium just quivering and shaking, okay? And back to the bag of worms where there's just no, no organized electroactivity causing a wave of depolarization that is going to cause a good ejection of blood. Um, it can be coarser, fine waves. And in fact, one of the things in ACLS they always talk about is the, the waves can be so small and so fine that it may mimic asystole sometimes, where asystole being just completely flatline. And so they always talk about changing what we call the gain to try to increase the amplitude to make sure you can see, see it, okay? Because we shock this, we don't shock asystole. So, um, so they can be very fine or they can be very coarse. And it's just an erratic twisting of the ventricles. No pulse whatsoever. There's no blood moving forward. So these patients uh, need to be what we call defibrillated right away. Again, ventricular tachycardia almost always goes into V-fib if we don't deal with the VTAC. So we've got to, got to address that pretty quickly. And I couldn't resist. 
But, you know, disorganized in the atria, it's also disorganized in the ventricles. That's V-fib, okay? All right, enough of that. All right, um, so it's the most, we think ventricular fibrillation is the most common arrhythmia that causes arrest outside of the hospital. So when somebody drops dead in Walmart or falls over in Walmart, it's more than likely because they went into V-fib. Um, you guys have heard of the AEDs, I guess? The automatic external defibrillators, you know, they're putting everywhere, is to shock these people as quick as possible because that's what they, they need electricity to, to depolarize the heart entirely to try to reset things. And so that's the, that's the treatment. It requires us to begin CPR immediately and begin defibrillation as soon as possible. Um, this says that every minute of delay and defibrillation decreases the chance of survival by 7 to 10%. So 10 minutes out, you know, that's pretty much bad, okay? Um, no cardiac output. These patients will become unconscious immediately. Um, yeah, I'll tell you a story. I'm trying to think of so we had, we had this, uh, this uh, pharmacist, I didn't realize she worked at our hospital until after the fact, but the lady came in through the back door in the emergency room, you know, it, it, which you're not supposed to do, that's the ambulance entrance, don't come in through that. And so of course, you know, we're try she looks fine, she's got her daughter with her, she's walking up to the desk, she's having chest pain, you think she's probably like one of the other 10 people that had chest pain that day, they're completely full of it, and they're absolutely nothing going wrong, no, you don't want to think that, but you know, after a while you kind of, she looks fine. Um, so she goes to... <laughs> She goes to the room. Of course, we, we do exactly what we're supposed to. We go ahead and get a 12-lead EKG on her. And they come out and you look at it and go, hmm, those ST segments look a little bit up, a little bit off, you know? So you kind of think maybe something's up. And as good practitioners do, I want you to go ahead and take this home, you repeat the EKG, okay? Serial EKGs are, are very, very helpful. Things change. If, if it's abnormal and something's going on, it's gonna, something's gonna become more apparent eventually. So five or 10 minutes later, I don't remember what, uh, we went back in, repeated the EKG, and sure enough, man, she's, she is having ST segment elevation. She's having, having the, the big one, okay? So um, um, we called the cardiologist to get all that set up, and Dr. Garabedian, who I was working with, said, you know, we probably better just put the crash cart near the room just, just to be on the safe side. You don't know. Let's kind of make sure we have things prepared. And I see one of the nurses doing that, wheeling the crash cart over, and shortly after, I see family coming out just crying. I'm like, well, we're just moving the crash cart in there. I know things are bad. But I mean, right after that, the, we hear which is the crash cart charging up. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, crap, something's going on. So we, we go in there, and of course, she's, she's um, you know, in the middle of coding. So we're doing chest compressions. And um, this is the only time I can remember I was doing chest compressions when somebody was grabbing my arm to make me stop. Um, but, you know, it's like, she wasn't V-fib, right? <laughs> you know, doing chest compressions, and you, you stop, and she immediately falls back over, and there's nothing going on. And you look at the monitor, yeah, she was, and you start back. Um, and so, you know, we ended up shocking her several times. She had uh, what's called Takasubos, I think is right. Does that sound right? Um, have you heard of that before? Yeah. Broken heart disease uh, or broken heart syndrome or whatever. Basically, they took her to the cath lab. There were, there were no blockages whatsoever. Um, but she ended up with, uh, it's just basically an emotional stress that can, can cause this to, to come on you and cause a cardiomyopathy that looks like an MI and stuff. So she was sick for a long, long time. But, um, but anyway, we, she ended up, she's out and doing okay now, back to work. But um, anyway, that's my, uh, so we, we defibrillated her. Again, you wanted to get the, the idea is we knew something bad could happen. Get the crash cart there because electricity is the thing you need right away, right? So. Um, you, you don't want to waste time with that. You want to make sure you, you've got that handy and, and do it as quick as possible. 
Um, you guys got to see the cardio version last week, which is pretty much what defibrillation looks like. But I thought this was kind of cool. If I can get this one to come up, I will. Sometimes getting these things to go is not easy. Um, fiddlesticks. If I can't find it, we'll just be too bad. Good Mythical Morning. Did anybody watch Good Mythical Morning? Seriously? My kids got all into that. I, it will not tell me what the name of that slide is. Okay, never mind. It was really cool. You can pull it up at home. Maybe it'll work for you. It is um, basically they do an open heart surgery. and You can see the heart kind of quivering abnormally, and you can tell that, that they're in ventricular fibrillation or whatever. And they stick the paddles, these little paddles in there directly onto the heart and deliver the shock and, and defibrillate them that way, which I thought was pretty stinking cool. My son walked in the room last night, he's like, what is that, Dad? <laughs> he's like freaking out, that's weird. I was like, yeah, it's pretty cool though. Um, so anyway, um, that's what they were doing. You can pull that up at home. Um, I think that's everything off of that slide. Okay, questions about PVCs, VTAC, VFib, any of that stuff? Fun stuff to, to deal with. Here we go. Okay, so now we're gonna talk about escape beats and escape rhythms. Um, <clears throat> let's start out with atrial escape beat, okay. So instead of something happening prematurely, it's kinda like the, the backup pacemakers are having to be thrown into action. If you remember, we talked about overdrive suppression. When the SA node's working, it overdrive suppresses kinda everything else below it, the atria, the AV node, the ventricles, and it takes over and remains the primary pacemaker. But when when there's a block that happens from the SA node, something is potentially going to kick in and act as the backup pacemaker. So that's what an atrial escape beat is. You kind of have this sinus block here, and eventually, uh, a pace, in this situation, a pacemaker inside the atria, not the SA node, takes over as the primary pacemaker. Um, and so you get, what's, you get a little P wave here that has a different morphology and shape, just like the PAC. It's coming from somewhere besides the SA node and it depolarizes, and you can go, and if it happens in one beat, we just call it an atrial escape beat, okay? If it continues, we call it an atrial escape rhythm. Now, the difficulty is, unless you saw a change, you're never gonna know if that's a P wave or a P prime wave from somewhere else, okay? But, um, so atrial escape beat's easier to pick out than an atrial escape rhythm, but it does happen. And there's a picture of the atrial escape rhythm. Again, unless you kind of saw this thing flip-flop right there, you probably would have no idea. You just would call that sinus rhythm. But that, that just gives you an idea of what atrial escape rhythm is. All right, you can also have a junctional escape beat. Um, again, you, you have a block here. The, the SA node is no longer working as pacemaker, something in the atria didn't take over. But, excuse me, the AV junction did. And so you end up getting uh, a QRS complex, sometimes without a, a P wave at all. I think we, it, we've touched on this a few times in the past. Um, sometimes the AV junction will, will depolarize and, and not depolarize the atria. And so you just get a ventricular depolarization that's normal. So you get no P wave with the normal QRS complex. What can also happen is the AV node will retrograde depolarize the atria 
and it may happen slightly beforehand like that or sometimes it may even happen slightly afterwards like that okay followed by a T wave so sometimes you get a retrograde atrial depolarization happening either before or after the QRS complex and sometimes you won't have any atrial depolarization at all just a narrow QRS complex that's a junctional escape beat now you can have a junctional rhythm or a junctional escape rhythm and that's just basically the same thing except continued. So in this situation, you've got a narrow complex QRS without any preceding P waves, okay? If you do have it, sometimes it would be uh, inverted immediately before or inverted immediately afterward. And sometimes it's, it may be happening, but it's buried within the QRS complex itself. Moving on down, you can have a ventricular escape beat. Again, these are not premature, but they're happening after a pause, a delay, the SA node's not working. Okay, the AV node didn't kick in as a backup pacemaker, so the ventricle says, okay, I'll take over. And, and you get a bizarre complex that's kind of kicking in here. That's called a ventricular escape beat. Pretty simple stuff. Not really much to say. You can also get a ventricular escape rhythm, and um, that's just where, again, we think back to our inherent rates of these pacemakers, right? The ventricular uh, rate is 20 to 40 beats per minute, which is not great. So you start getting these really crummy bradycardias uh, with wide complex QRSs, and these, these are sick, sick patients right here, okay? So again, failure of the SA node and all automaticity foci above the ventricles, so we have a downward displacement of the pacemaker. Questions about escape rhythms or beats? Pretty simple stuff, not a lot to say. I want to touch on artifact this morning, too. Um, unfortunately, all these pretty little EKGs that I try to show you is not in the real world, oftentimes. Um, we get what's called artifact in these EKGs, which can make it a bit of a challenge to read sometimes. You get patients that just don't want to sit still. I, I, I don't think I've told this story. I had a lady the other night. Well, maybe I did. She, she was having a panic attack and complaining of chest pain, and, and I'd ordered the EKG, and she was just sh shaking and carrying on so bad. He's like, man, I, ain't gonna, I can go do it, but you're not going to see anything. And so we, we waited. So... I mean, you can get artifact for people doing muscle tremors. You can have people with Parkinson's that are shaking that can't, can't help themselves doing that. Um, you can have electrical interference. Uh, the patient's breathing sometimes will mess that up. And we'll talk about all these different ways that you can kind of uh, detect the artifact. But sometimes, I mean, you can try to repeat the EKG if possible, but sometimes it just may not, may not do anything. Um, there's a, a fairly common one out there called 60-cycle artifact, and it's just some kind of electrical interference in the room. Sometimes you can figure it out, sometimes you can't. Maybe an IV machine in the room, it could be something else, somebody's cell phone, whatever. You're getting electrical interference, and it looks like somebody just took a, a dark Sharpie and just kind of you know, darkened everything. It's just, it happens at a 60 second cycle, okay? Or 60, I think maybe 60 times a second is what it is, okay? Um, and so there's some, something not grounded in the room, and you'll get that, and that's what that's from. So you can try to go in and troubleshoot and find out what the electrical thing is if you can. I've tried it in the past, but oftentimes don't, don't ever figure it out, you know. Um, <clears throat> can also get muscle tremor. And so again, um, things might have been nice, somebody might have shaken or, or because they're cold or because they have Parkinson's because they're nervous. 
any number of things. Maybe they just move a little bit, and you'll get some uh, stuff here that completely obliterates anything that's, that's going on underneath, and you have no idea. Um, as it says, this is, this is kind of one of those things that can mess you up in a hurry. Low amplitude muscle tremor noise can mimic the baseline seen in atrial fibrillation. Okay, so somebody's just moving just a little bit. You, you no longer have an isoelectric baseline, and you're going to start thinking, is that a fib? Um, the key there is to look at see if it's regular or irregular, right? If you got an irregular rhythm, it may very well be a fib. If it's regular, it's definitely not. Okay, um, and you just take that into, into consideration when you look at the patient stuff too. Uh, but muscle tremors, are, as it says here, are often more subtle. This is pretty obvious that something's going on sometimes, and I'll show you some examples in a minute that are, that are not quite so clear. Another very common one is a, is a wandering baseline, and basically this is somebody uh, with their breathing oftentimes. Maybe the, the electrodes are not sticking very well. They've got a hairy chest that needs to be shaved. There's, sometimes these patients are sweaty and clammy or whatever, and you try to put an electrode on them, it just doesn't stick worth a flip. You try taping it down, put another one, it just comes right back off. But when you get these loose electrodes and them breathing, you get kind of a wandering baseline where it just goes up and down. And when we're talking about, you know, ST elevation, we've mentioned a little bit, when you're looking for an MI or something and, and you've got a wandering baseline, where's the baseline at and how do you know it's isoelectric? It becomes somewhat difficult. Uh, but this can be one of those things that you'll, you'll see occasionally. All right, first glance from all you've learned today, what would you call this? Looks a whole lot like VTAC, okay? But it's artifact. <laughs> Fun, isn't it? <laughs> Throw those curveballs right at you. Um, now, how can I tell it's, it's artifact? Probably if I looked at just this side over here, well, if I looked at most of this side over here, I'd have no idea. Look at this one lead right here, okay? This one you can actually see P waves and the QRS complex, sort of, okay? The other clue on this side is you see these things here that look like they could be QRS complexes, and in fact they are. If you were to take it out and measure them just to see if the r intervals are regular, you see that the, the, they are in fact regular, okay, and they're the same up here. And so this is actually, I don't know what the, the underlying rhythm is, but it's a regular rhythm with a, with a normal QRS complex and the rate's about 3, 150, uh, 75, okay, it's got a rate of 75. Um, but it looks a lot like VTAC. This is just motion muscle tremor artifact, okay? That's a pretty bad example. I don't think there's too many out there in the world to come across like that, but that's a bad example. All right, what would your initial impression of this one be? You might say atrial fibrillation, right? Because there's, there's uh, no isoelectric baseline. And again, the key in this situation is measure your R to R intervals, um, and they're completely regular, okay? So we do have R to R interval here, and they're all regular, so it's not atrial fibrillation. Occasionally, if you get real imaginative here, okay, you might could see what looks like a, a P wave that is kind of maybe here, here, I don't know. You know, the potential is there. Again, this is a bad EKG. It's really difficult to interpret this accurately. But just know that artifact exists, and don't, don't be too quick to say, oh, is there an atrial fibrillation? We better start anticoagulation and blah, 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 blah. You know, this is, oh, slow down. <laughs> okay, artifact. This is more like probably muscle tremor or a loose electrode, something like that, okay? 
They're shaky. This is interesting. This is not really artifact. Um, this, this truly is ventricular fibrillation over here, okay? Um, this almost looks like QRS complexes with artifact, but in fact, this is somebody doing chest compressions. Um, I guess the take-home I would say from this one is whenever you're doing chest compressions on somebody in CPR, the EKG, you can't read it, okay? You're in the middle of CPR. Don't try to interpret a rhythm. That's why you have to stop CPR to interpret a rhythm to decide what to do next. Um, and so there's set times in which you would do that. So during chest compressions, um, all you're going to see is the, the movement of the chest from the chest compression. So um, that's what this is. So chest compressions from here, and this is true ventricular fibrillation from there over. So again, this looks like somebody might be having sinus rhythm with runs of VTAC but this is all artifact as well, okay? Um, you've got, got some normal stuff in here with, with just motion artifact. Again, these are some, of the, some of these are kind of just bad, like really bad examples, like hopefully you'll never run across many like that. But, um, but that, that's a pretty regular occurrence kind of thing right there, okay? That, that's not too uncommon if you get a shaky patient um, to see something that can look like that. And you just have to try to fix the situation. Reapply electrodes, something, okay? Um, not terribly uncommon. Questions about any of that stuff? What did you say about that very last one? Very last one there? Yeah. Um, my guess is it's probably a sinus rhythm. It's, it, appears regular. In fact, that's probably a QRS complex there. You can kind of march them out, okay? That's probably the QRS complex there. Um, so it looks like it's probably a size rhythm. You can kind of pick out the T waves. I can't see a P wave, though. So it's just assumption. But this is motion artifact. 